I decided not to. <laughs> Thank you, guys. We have amazing leadership at our church, and Don with the elders and, and Mike with the deacons. So thank you for your, your work. We so appreciate you guys. Hey, I am Pastor Steve. It is so good to be here today and worship our, our awesome King of Kings, Lord of Lords, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so um, as we have said before, uh, if you've come in here today and you're just struggling, maybe you're lonely, maybe you're struggling with an addiction, maybe um, you're, you don't know where to turn, um, Jesus welcomes you here. We are so glad that you're here with us today. We hope that you can get plugged in and, and, and get to know other, other folks here today. Like, um, like Don and Mike said, there's information out on the welcome desk. There's um, in your bulletin has a lot of information as well. But maybe you've come in here today and um, you're just really anxious about something, maybe a medical situation or maybe a job situation uh, or maybe uh, a, a parenting situation. Jesus welcomes you here, and we're so glad that you're with us here today. Whatever reason why you're here, we are so glad that you've chosen to worship with us today. Um, we are better together as God's people. Um, <clears throat> kids, I got a question for you. I'm not going to come around with a mic, but what, what kind of job do you think would be a fun job to have? If you could just shout it out, or maybe your parents could speak for you. What, is, what would be a fun job for you to have? An engineer. Awesome. Yeah, I think you'd be a good one. A builder. Video game designer. That would be an awesome one. A firefighter. Yeah, we need firefighters. That's awesome. I think we got a few in our church here too. What else? A teacher. Yes, absolutely. We need good teachers. You'll be a good one, Elena. What else? What would, what would be a fun job, kids, for, for you to have? What's that? A worker at Union Pacific. A worker at Union Pacific. Yeah, trains. Awesome. That would be awesome. Anyone? One, one more. A John Deere worker. Yeah. Yeah, you betcha. I love John Deere's. Yeah. All right. Hey, there's a lot of cool jobs out there. Um, but I want to ask you adults now. I want to switch gears here. How many of you love your job? How many of you, you know, well, I'm not going to ask that question. <laughs> but this morning, as we continue our series in the New Testament book of Ephesians, chapter 6, I encourage you to turn there if you brought your Bibles. The words will be up on the screen as well. Um, we're going to see what God has to say about the idea of work, the whole idea about work. You know, God ordained work. Do you believe that? Um, and we're going to talk about that. Work is good. Work is good. And we're going to talk about what a Christ-focused work environment should look like with employees and employers. <clears throat> uh, we're going to see how God created work to be good, how the Bible speaks about slavery and their masters. Again, equivalent today to workers and their bosses. And how our work, get this, can become a place of worship. Have you ever looked at your work as a place of worship? We, we often just think, oh, we come to church on Sunday to worship. But your work throughout the week is a wonderful opportunity, a wonderful place 
for you to worship our awesome God as well. Um, but before we get started, I want you to join with me in prayer. But before we get into prayer, I would like for all the teachers, if you're teaching um, in any school system um, in the community, would you please stand? If you're an administrator in our schools, homeschool families, I, I would encourage you to stand. Um, students, I want you to stand because we want to specifically pray for you as the school year kicks off this year. Um, we're going to be praying at the local schools in Roland Story um, tonight, as mentioned in one of the um, bulletin points. Um, but I want to specifically pray God's protection and guidance and, and blessings on our, those involved with our school system. So students, teachers, admin, bus drivers, if you're associated with the schools or homeschool families, I'd encourage you to please stand and will you pray with me. Father in heaven, we thank you and praise you for our teachers. We thank you and praise you for all of those involved in our local school systems. Father, we thank you and praise you for those involved with the local colleges. We thank you and praise you for those that are involved online teaching. We thank you and praise you for those that are homeschooling. We thank you and praise you for all the students that are represented in our community. Father, we ask a special blessing on them as this new school year kicks off soon. And Father, we ask that you would um, encourage um, all of our teachers and students that they would know that you are with them, that you go with them each and every day. It can be very tough. It can be very discouraging. It can be hard to know how best to lead our students from day to day. There can be some very difficult situations that arise. Lord, we pray for your protection, deliverance from the evil one, and that your Holy Spirit would guide and direct and encourage and empower these students and teachers and all involved. Father, we thank you for them. Father, we lift up those in our midst that are struggling with illness or, or different issues. Father, we pray for your healing hand upon them. Father, we pray for those that are lonely, that you would put people into their lives, Lord, to help point them to you and encourage one another. Father, we thank you for what you're doing here at this church in this community. Lord, we pray that many people would come to know you personally as Lord and Savior. We pray this year would be the year that, an, that a true harvest would take place in our communities, a harvest of souls, Lord, that would put their trust in you and find new life and a changed life in you alone. God, we thank you and praise you for all the ministries. We pray that you would raise up all the volunteers necessary to do the work that you've you've called us to do. Lord, we thank you and we praise you. As we open your word, guide us, Lord, and teach us what we need to know and apply to our lives this week. We thank you. It's with grateful hearts that we pray in the name of King Jesus. Amen. Thank you, guys. <clears throat> when we take God to work each day, we glorify him and we become a witness for him. So let us join with me as we read Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 through 9. I'll be reading from the NIV, the New International Version. The words will be up on the screen. They'll also be in Spanish as well up on the screen. Here's what Paul writes. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly 
as if you were serving the Lord, not people. Because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whatever they, they are, whether they are slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. The word of the Lord. Now, at first glance, at first hearing, you might think, whoa, (laughs) slaves and masters, what is going on here this morning? Paul has just been talking in chapter 5 about the structure in the home, in the family. He's talked about husbands and wives and children. We, We learned about that last week. And now he's talking about slaves and masters. Well, in a nutshell, basically, uh, a slave back in Roman times, back in biblical times, was considered basically a part of the family. And so it's natural for him um, in that culture, in that time frame, to, to talk about that. And we're going to talk more specifically this morning about what exactly that meant in the Bible. Because when we hear the term slavery, we, we most likely, and rightfully so, think of the tragic American experience with slavery we hear about in school that led to the Civil War and, um, and terrible things afterwards. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that. But before we do that, I want to talk about the whole idea of work The whole idea of work, did you realize that God created and ordained work? God created work. Work is good. Work is good. In Genesis chapter 2, after God created Adam, what did he do? He created a place for him to live, the garden. And he gave Adam a job. His job was to tend the garden, to expand the garden. That was his job. He also had a side job of naming the animals. And kids, I think that would be a fun job, right? Naming the animals. What would you have named the animals if you were given the opportunity? But God gave Adam a job to work the garden and name the animals. And did you realize that God does work? He created the world. He created the universe. He sustains his creation by his mighty word. He seeks after everyone on the planet to draw them to himself, to draw them to Jesus, to repent of sins and find forgiveness of sins and eternal life with him. That's God's heart for the world. Work is good. But Genesis chapter 3, as many of you know, it was all corrupted by sin. It was all corrupted when Adam and Eve decided, eh, you know, I'm not going to trust God. I'm going to do my own thing because, ooh, this sounds a lot better. I got this advice from a snake. (laughs) Sounds a lot better than the God who created everything. They rebelled against God. Sin entered the world and everything was corrupted along with work. Work was corrupted as well. And the whole system of workers from that point on, which would include slavery, was corrupted as well. So what did slavery look like in biblical times? I want to take us through this real briefly before we even get into the passage and explain that a little bit. And the question that often I hear is, why in the world would a good God not abolish slavery? Why in the world would a good God not condemn slavery in... (coughs) in scripture 
because really nowhere in Scripture is, is slavery really condemned or approved. It's just dealt with and given opportunity to prevent abuse. And, and, and when, when the gospel changes a heart, it changes everything in society. And so we're going to talk more about that. But in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, slavery is mentioned all the way back in the time of Abraham. Abraham. Abraham had some servants or slaves. But after that, the Israelites, the people of God, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel, they were enslaved in Egypt for over 400 years. God would set some clear boundaries when God led them out of slavery. Through Moses, God presented the law to Moses to give to the people. God set some clear boundaries to protect slaves from abuse. And the Israelite people of all people would have known what abuse was because they were slaves in Egypt. God gave the law to protect all people. Here's some examples. In Exodus chapter 21, verse 16, it says, Anyone who kidnaps someone is to be put to death, whether the victim has been sold or is still in the kidnapper's possession. It's amazing. During the American slavery thing going on, if this principle was put into effect, that alone would have eliminated slavery in the United States. A kidnapper was to be put to death. Exodus chapter 21, verses 26 to 27. An owner of a slave who hits a male or female slave in the eye and destroys it must let that slave go free to compensate for the eye. And the owner who knocks out a tooth of a male and female slave must let that slave go free to compensate for the tooth. God is putting things in his law to prevent abuse of these worker-master-employer um, relationships. In Leviticus chapter 25, it talks about the year of Jubilee. Every uh, 50 years, 49 years, slaves would be set free. Deuteronomy chapter 23, verses 15 to 16. By the way, these passages are listed in your bulletin. If a slave has taken refuge with you, in other ways, it's a runaway slave, a fugitive, listen to this, do not hand them over to their master. Let them live among you wherever they like and in whatever town they choose, do not oppress them. Did you realize some of these passages were in the law, were in scripture? Do not return a runaway slave, but treat them as your own. God wanted his people Israel to be kind and not abuse their slaves. Why? Because they too were once slaves in Egypt. And every person on the planet who is created in the image of God and is to be treated with dignity and respect. Exodus chapter 21, verses 5 and 6 says a slave, if he really loved the family he worked for, even though he might have been, had the opportunity to be set free, he could choose to stay with that family for life. He would get an ear piercing to demonstrate that. Because see, back in Old Testament times, you were a part of a family if you were a slave. And if you liked the family you were a part of, that provided job security and a family security as well. 
totally foreign to our concept of slavery today. Now, certainly there is abuses. Wherever there's people, there's abuse. There's sin. I want to make that very clear. So in the Old Testament, God placed clear boundaries to prevent abuse and unfair treatment of slaves or workers to protect them and remind the people that all people have equal value in God's eyes. All people are important to God. All people need to be protected, um, whatever their role might be. God's people were to trust in him alone, not themselves, because he alone is their provider. There's a lot more we could say about that in the Old Testament, but I want to move on to the New. Slavery in the New Testament. Slavery was common in the Roman Empire, which covered all of Israel at the time. It's estimated that perhaps up to 60 million people were slaves in the Roman Empire. 60 million. At least one-third of the people in the town of Ephesus, to whom Paul is writing to the church here, the book of Ephesians, one-third of the people were estimated to be slaves. Slaves played a significant role in Roman society. They were either born into slavery, they were made a slave when their nation was captured uh, in war, or maybe they were punished um, for a crime and they had to pay restitution for that crime by taking in as a slave. Some, however, would voluntarily become slaves in order to pay a debt. This was for job security, perhaps. Job security or to become adopted into the family and thus gain Roman citizenship, which was highly prized at that time, if one wanted to succeed in that day. All these concepts are totally unfamiliar to us today because we don't worry about job insecurity when there's plenty of jobs out there. We have options. We have people that we, we can talk to to increase our skills or go to school or, or to help us find uh, the right job for us. Back then, they had very limited options, if any. For many, rather than look to work each day with uncertainty, they would willingly sell themselves into slavery to gain job security. Church, as we look back into that culture, I think it's important for us to take a moment and just thank God that we live in a nation where we don't have to worry about those things. Now, there are some that do. And we, we as a church and others want to help people that are looking for work and do what we can to help people. But thank God that we live in a nation where there's multiple opportunities that were never available in the ancient world. Roman slaves also uh, didn't just do menial household work. Um, some slaves, get this, were doctors, educators, businessmen who worked for their master. Um, <clears throat> some even owned slaves of their own. Some were able to buy uh, property for themselves. Some were able to purchase their freedom. Things begin to change even in Paul's day according to Roman laws and the treatment of slaves, yet they still lacked any real rights. They were treated as property, but yet they were still treated as persons back in the Roman government. They couldn't quit being a slave or make demands while they were entrusted to their masters. They were owned by their master, who could treat them basically as he wished, 
Slaves were often released by the time they became 30 years old. Did you know that? They were considered part of the family while they worked for the family. There was abuse, no doubt. Again, where there's humans, there's going to be sin, which leads to abuse. But unlike slavery here in America, however, slavery in the Roman world was not based solely on race. It was not for a lifetime. The Bible, as I mentioned earlier, does not directly condemn or approve of slavery, but it does change the sinful intuition, institution and create boundaries to prevent abuse. When God is allowed to enter into the equation, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, changes a heart, changes a family, changes a community, changes a nation. And some of these institutions will eventually fall by the wayside. Paul's goal here is not to overthrow the government, the Roman government, or even its institutions like slavery. Paul's single laser-like focus is to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. You too can find forgiveness of sin and new life in him alone. And let Jesus transform the person and then ultimately the institution of slavery as a result. And, and Paul, I'm going to show you in a minute, Paul set the tone for this to happen. The gospel message would spread and change hearts and eventually bring about transformation and an end to formal slavery. But slavery has not officially ended. Um, I was looking up this morning, uh, according to the United Nations statistics, there are um, roughly estimated 50 million people that are stuck in slavery around the world, working in sweatshops, um, you know, forced labor, sometimes forced marriages in different cultures. Um, it still exists today. That's why I'm so grateful for organizations like Wings of Refuge, which we supported with the uh, Target Trafficking Fundraiser. I'm so grateful for movies like um, Sound of Freedom, if you haven't had a chance to see that, it's a tough movie to watch. But I would encourage you to watch that because it gives a, a greater glimpse of what's going on around the world and how people are trying to rescue kids, especially from trafficking. It's horrible. And so, church, we do our part. We keep praying that one day slavery and trafficking will completely end in our world. Keep praying. Paul does give hints at how the gospel changes everything, how society should view slavery. I want to point you to the tiny book in the New Testament, the book of Philemon. Philemon um, was led to Christ by Paul. Philemon was a slave owner in that society. Um, he had a runaway slave named Onesimus, which, by the way, Paul led him to Christ. And Paul was sending the slave Onesimus back to his master, Philemon. And so he wrote that letter to Philemon to say, your slave's coming back, I'm sending him back. Welcome him, not as a slave, but as a brother in Christ, your equal. Huh, wow. That was a transformational letter in the Roman world. That never would have happened except for Jesus Christ and the gospel which changes lives and changes hearts and changes ideas about how 
everything runs. Praise God for the gospel. Here's another one. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. Paul lists a bunch of different sins, including this one, slave traders. He condemns, God condemns slave traders. Now, if God is condemning slave traders, do the math, he's also condemning slavery, essentially, in its ugliest form. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 21 through 23, Paul goes on to say, were you a slave when you were called? He's speaking again to slaves. Don't let it trouble you, although if you can gain your freedom, do so. For the one who was a slave when called to faith in the Lord is the Lord's freed person. We are free in Christ. Similarly, similarly, the one who was free when called is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price by Christ. Do not become slaves of other human beings. Do you see the sounds of freedom that Paul was putting into his letters to the churches that would eventually cause slavery to crumble? Colossians 3.11, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but in Christ, Christ is all and is in all. We are one in Christ. Praise God. We have different roles in society, but as we gather as God's people, we are one. In the eyes of God, we are to treat each other as one. Paul focuses on reforming the heart to turn to Jesus in all things, including your work. So here in this passage that we read, it says, Slaves obey your, get this, earthly masters. Earthly masters. Implying that there's masters beyond the earth. We have a heavenly master who's ultimately in control. <clears throat> obey your earthly masters with respect, fear, sincere heart, as you would also obey Christ. Notice here in this passage, too, the references to in Christ, obey Christ, you know, at least four times. He's talking about Christ as our ultimate authority. He says the same thing in Colossians 3, 22 and following. He says, slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Uh, verse 24, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for the wrongs, but, and there is no favoritism. And then masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair because you know that you also have a master in heaven. Slaves were to obey their master's position of authority given to him by God, their ultimate heavenly master. But as I mentioned, sin corrupts everything. The worker-boss relationship and the earthly master may not be a kind person, but Paul is encouraging that slave to do what he was told as though he was working for Jesus himself. That's easier said than done. 
We need power to do that. Well, Paul in, in chapter 5, verse 18 said, here's your power source to do just that. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit take control. Let him fill you, your thoughts, words, actions, attitudes, so that you have the power of Christ now to treat those who don't treat you well, but you can treat them with respect. That is a completely countercultural thing, and only God can help us do that, right? But when we do, others take notice and say, what is different about you? How in the world can you respond to such hatred and, 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 and you know, wrongs with love and respect of Christ? Well, it's Christ that does that. And let me point you to him. What a testimony we can have when we obey our earthly masters. Sin corrupts everything, but Jesus changes all that. We work as though we are working for Jesus himself, unless, unless, here's a key thing, Acts 5.29, as Peter once said, in Acts 5.29, we must obey God rather than men. If, if, someone if your boss tells you to do something that goes against God's law, you are to politely, gently say no. Here's why. Because my master in heaven says, I, don't, I can't do that. I can't lie. I can't cheat. I'm not going to do this. And be ready to suffer the consequences for that. 1 Peter 2, 18-21 <clears throat> says, slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. What Peter's saying is do the right thing even if you suffer consequences for that. God will reward you. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Titus chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. Teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them, and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. What is he saying here? Whatever work environment you're in, be honest, be faithful, do your job well, and that will be a testimony of Jesus in you. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. All who are under the yoke of slavery should consider their masters worthy of full respect so that God's name in our teaching may not be slandered. Those who have believing masters should not show, show them disrespect just because they are fellow believers. Instead, they should serve them even better because their masters are dear to them as fellow believers and are devoted um, to the welfare of their slaves. We are a witness for Christ wherever we go. Paul reminds slaves that they are ultimately working for Jesus. The best way to be a witness for Jesus is to do a good day's work every day, knowing that ultimately Jesus will reward us either in this lifetime or certainly in the eternal life to come with him in heaven. Paul addresses masters 
They were to treat their slaves with kindness, fairness, as an equal in Christ, a brother, a sister in Christ. They're not to be harsh, not to be abusive, not to be unfair, not to have favorites. In the Ephesian church, slaves and masters would be there together, sitting together as equals in God's family. Unheard of in that culture. Revolutionary in that culture. Masters were to treat their slaves as they would want to be treated. The golden rule, with respect, kindness, fairness, not in a threatening manner. And so they ought to act in that way as well. Masters in that culture could legally treat their slaves basically however they wanted. They could kill their slaves if they wanted to. But now with Jesus Christ in their life, their lives were held to a higher standard. They had to obey a higher standard. God was watching over them. God would hold them accountable. And so that little bit of fear and respect should help then the master, the bosses, to treat their, co-worker, their workers, their slaves with respect and fairness and the love of Christ. So lastly, what does all this mean for us today? Here's the crux of it. Here's the application for us today to our modern workplace. As I mentioned, when Paul speaks here of slaves and masters in that culture, in the Ephesian church, in the Roman world, he is speaking today essentially about employees and their bosses. I want you to remember this. Work, as I mentioned earlier, is a divine calling of God. Everyone is called to work as they are able. God uses people at work in different industries to take care of our needs. Let's think about this. The farmer grows the food. It's sold and transported to the cereal factory. It's packaged, transported, and sold to the grocery stores, and then sold to us, where we put it on the breakfast table for our families. And there's many more links in that chain. God uses every single link in that chain as part of his plan to feed you each day. We don't even stop to think about that. Work is a divine calling. Each part is key. Each role is to glorify God as they are doing their job. It's possible for a mom or dad to cook a meal as if Jesus were going to eat it. It's possible for the businessman or woman when they make a deal as if Jesus would be the benefactor of that or the school teacher to teach as though they were teaching to Jesus in the classroom. And on and on and on. Whatever you do, do as though you are serving Jesus. Ask God to help you see your work as an opportunity to worship him, to be a witness for him. It is your mission field, wherever God has placed you. It's not coincidence that he has you where he does. So that means obey your boss. Unless, as I mentioned, it goes against Scripture, Acts 5.29, we must obey God rather than men, but be thankful for your job. How many times do we thank God at the end of the day? Thank you, God, for my job. It's putting food on the table. I may not like it. Today may have been a really rough day, but thank you, God, for providing a job for me in my family. Be thankful for your job. God has blessed you with work. Work as though Jesus was your boss. Show Christ-like love and respect to those around you, especially your boss. 
Perhaps your Christ-like attitude will win your boss and others over to Jesus. At least you'll be a good witness. And Christ will reward you someday for your good work. At home, cooking dinner, washing dishes is also an opportunity for worship. Look at your job as an opportunity for worship. I read about a sign over a kitchen sink that reads, Divine worship services held here three times daily. It changes our perspective of work, right? Work with a good attitude, respect, even when no one is watching, because we are ultimately working for the Lord. Work is worship. Work is worship. Invite God to work each day. It requires asking him to help you work well, whether or not you like your boss or not. But if you're thinking about God throughout the day, guess what? Your attitude about your job will change. Your attitude about your boss will change. Your attitude about coworkers will change. You will want to please God with your work. Tony Evans once said, the quickest way to transform your job is to transform your perspective about your job. I'm here to worship God. I'm ready to go. Use me today, God. Bring God to work each day. Ask yourself, do you slack off when the boss isn't watching? Are you honest? Are you trustworthy, loyal, dependable, on time? Do you treat other coworkers with respect even if they disagree with you? Um, how do you speak about your boss even if he's a poor leader? Do you, do you look to Jesus throughout your workday? Do you ask him to help you to work faithfully, productively, with excellence, no matter how big or small the task? When others see you working hard in this manner, it can change their attitude too. You know, negative attitudes are, are contagious, but right attitudes are contagious as well. And you can be the catalyst of that in your workplace. Wouldn't it be cool? There's a lot of job openings in our nation. Wouldn't it be cool if every time there was a job opening, the person that's, the company that's looking for a, a, a person to fill that slot, what if they said, man, we need to find a Christian to fill this job because they're loyal, dependable, honest, and they do hard work. We can depend on them. Wouldn't that be cool if we could say that? Because someday the Lord will reward you. Colossians 3.24, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. 1 Corinthians 3, the one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, that they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. Matthew 16.27, for the Son of Man, Jesus is going to come in the Father's glory with all his angels, and then he will reward each person to what they have done. So don't rebel against your boss. Don't rebel against your job. Don't rebel against coworkers. If you really don't like your job, seek God's guidance to help you find one more suitable to you. No scorched earth, I'm out of here. And for bosses, he's speaking to bosses too. Treat your workers well. Treat your workers like you would want to be treated. God is watching. Pay fair wages. Help your workers to learn and grow to be responsible. 
God is watching, so treat your workers fairly. Don't play favorites. Romans 2.11, God does not show favoritism. Warren, Pastor Warren Wearsby once stated this. He said, the fastest way for a leader to divide his followers and lose their confidence is for the leader to play favorites and show partiality. Co-workers need to be responsible, and the boss can, can um, give incentives to those who do well, but don't show favoritism. Don't bend the rules for one person and not the other. As the boss leads, the workers are to recognize that they too are held accountable to a higher boss, the Lord. Bosses and those in authority should be asking, would God approve of this decision? Or how can I do better to bring glory to God? I'll wrap it up with this story I heard from Pastor John MacArthur. He tells the story of two missionaries returning home to the United States. It's a great reminder of having an expectation of God's judgment and his reward. The story is told of an elderly missionary couple who are returning home on a ship after many years of sacrificial service in Africa, decades on the same ship was President Theodore Roosevelt, who had just completed a highly successful big game hunt. As the ship docked in New York Harbor, thousands of well-wishers and dozens of reporters lined the pier to welcome President Roosevelt home. But not a single person was there to welcome the missionaries. Not a single one. As the couple rode to a hotel in a taxi, the man complained to his wife, it just doesn't seem right. We give 40 years of our lives to Jesus Christ to win souls in Africa, and nobody knows and nobody cares when we return. Yet the president goes over there for a few weeks to kill some animals, and the whole world takes notice. But as they prayed together that night, this couple, before retiring for bed, the Lord seemed to say to them this, Do you want to know why you haven't received your reward yet, my children? It's because you are not home yet. One day we will stand before God as followers of Jesus Christ in our eternal home in heaven. Jesus will reward us for the things we've done in his name. And I don't know about you, but I want to hear these words spoken to me by Jesus. Well done, good and faithful servant. Whatever your job is, see it as a form of worship. See it as a mission field to those around you that desperately need to know there's hope in Jesus Christ alone. And God has put you there to share seeds of hope with them. They may not come to Christ yet, but your job is to plant seeds or to water seeds of the gospel and saying, this is what God has done for me. He can do this for you too. Do it all for the glory of God. As our worship team comes forward, will you pray with me? Father in heaven, we thank you and praise you for this reminder that work is good. Sin has corrupted it, but Lord, you're redeeming it because you've redeemed us. Oh, we were sinners so undeserving of your grace and mercy and forgiveness, but Lord, you willingly went to a cross to die in our place for our sins, to pay a penalty we could never pay. 
so that we could be, come to you in repentance and forgiveness. Lord, forgive us our sins. We come to you broken. We ask, Lord, that you would forgive us and change us. Thank you, God, for your Holy Spirit that comes into our life as a guarantee of our adoption into your forever family, but also the power source to live for you today, to make right decisions today. And Lord, as we leave this place and we go to our work environments this week, remind us, Lord, that work is worship. That wherever we go, we want to take you with us. We always want to be thinking of you, Lord. We pray that not only would you help us change our attitudes towards our jobs, our work, that we are truly working for you, but Lord, may it change those around us as well. May I be a lighthouse to those around us this week with the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. And let me introduce you to the baker. Father, we thank you and praise you, and we give you all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Steve. Would you please stand?
With my life laid down, I surrendered now. I give you everything. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. With my life laid down, I surrender now. I give you everything. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. All my life you have been faithful. And all my life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able, oh, I will sing of the goodness of God. And all my life you have been so, so good With every breath that I am faithful Oh, I will sing of the goodness of God I will sing of the goodness of this place. Continue your worship in your work this week. People, there's a lot of brokenness in our world. There's broken people all around us. We may not see it, but it's there. You can be the change in them. Point them to Jesus this week by your work. We work for the Lord. So have a good week, everyone. Um, remember to check the sign-ups on the desk out, out in the Welcome Center. If there's ways that you can get plugged in to serve in different ways, we'd love to have you. Um, yeah, and prayer night tonight, uh, 7 o'clock at the elementary school here in Roland. We'd love to have you come out. Even if you just, you know, observe, we'd love to have you there. So have a good week, everyone. We'll see you next time.